I do not have much time left. I'm currently sitting in front of my computer, scared witless. Any moment now, I'm going to be killed. Today, a friend of mine told me a story. His aunt had taken care of him since he was a small boy, and she told him last night about how his parents died. He did a very fair imitation of her. I knew them both pretty well. They were doing some mission work in some nasty little South American country when a man burst into the mission hospital one night, terrified out of his mind. He told them that his sister had been killed by a Muerta Blanca, and that he was certain that it was coming for him next. What is Muerta Blanca? Apparently it was some sort of boogeyman. Something like that dumb chupacabra or whatever. Then call it the White Death, or the White Girl. It was a soul of someone who hated life so much that they came back to their shrouds to kill those who told of them. The man had been told about the vengeful spirit by his sisters hours before her death. It was a girl with dead, black eyes that wept bile. The thing moved without ever actually moving its legs, and it stalked its victims back to their homes. Now, if you weren't already aware that this thing was following you, once it got back to your house, it would start knocking on your door. Once for your skin, which she'll use to patch her own decaying flesh. Twice for your muscles, which she'll gnash her teeth on between victims. Thrice for bones, which she'll make knives to pick her teeth and kill her victims. Four times for your heart, which she'll wear around her neck. Five times for your teeth, which she'll polish and keep in a box. Six times for your eyes, which you'll see the faces of your loved ones through. Seven times for your soul, which you'll eat whole. You can never pass while you're in her stomach. She has to repeat this on any mirror or door between you and her. You can try to outrun her, but she's faster than the fastest man. And if you leave her home while she's knocking on your door... She won't be so courteous when she catches up to you. Now the man was certain that this thing had killed his sister. Then he tried to tell the police, but they would not listen. Next he had tried to tell his priest, but the priest turned him away when he saw that the thing was following him now. Oh, that's right. I forgot to tell you. It can only get you if you tell someone else about it, or you saw it kill someone else. The man, after finishing his tale, stole a car from the mission and was never seen again. Apparently, his mother and father had immediately called his aunt about this when it happened. They were found in the morning, skinned and dismembered. Their bodies were covered in tiny childlike handprints. His aunt was really drunk that night and had told him about that. He had told me this story earlier in the morning today at school before the cops arrived. His aunt had been murdered that night. I called him later that night, and he told me that he was being chased by someone, and now they were knocking on his door. I told him to stop shitting me. He held the phone away from his face for a moment, and then I could hear slow, deliberate knocks. A moment later, I heard the door rip from his hinges and the dying screams of my friend. Then a little girl's voice spoke over the line. Witness. I hung up. Three minutes ago, someone started knocking on my door. She has to knock 28 times on my front door. 28 times on the mirror in the hall. And another 28 times on the door to my bedroom. She's doing it slowly. I think she wants to scare me some more. Let me know that my death is just moments away. I will not run. I couldn't get to my car in time anyway. She started knocking on my bedroom door a minute ago. She should be done any moment. Nice knowing you guys. It's been...
Have you ever forgotten your phone? When did you realize that you'd forgotten it? I'm guessing you didn't just smack your forehead and exclaim, damn, apropos of nothing. The realization probably didn't dawn on you spontaneously. More likely, you reached for your phone, pawing open your pocket or handbag, and were momentarily confused by it not being there. Then, you did a mental restep of the morning events. Shit. In my case, my phone's alarm woke me up as normal, but I realized the battery was lower than I expected. It was a new phone, and it had this annoying habit of leaving applications running that drained the battery overnight. So I put it on the charge while I showered, instead of into my bag like I normally did. It was a momentary slip from the routine, that's all it took. Once in the shower, my brain got back into the routine. It follows every morning, and that was it. Forgotten. This wasn't me being clumsy, as I later researched. This is a recognized brain function. Your brain just doesn't work on one level. It works on many. Like when you're walking somewhere, you think about your destination and avoiding hazards. But you don't need to think about keeping your legs moving properly. If you did, the entire world would turn into one massive hilarious QWOP cosplay. I wasn't thinking about regulating my breathing. I was thinking whether I should grab a coffee on the drive to work. I did. I wasn't thinking about moving my breakfast through my intestines. I was wondering whether I'd finish on time to pick up my daughter Emily from the nursery after work or get stuck with another late fee. This is the thing. There's a level of your brain that just deals with routine so that the rest of the brain can think about other things. Think about it. Think about your last commute. What do you actually remember? Little, if anything, probably. Most common journeys blur into one and recalling anyone in particular is scientifically proven to be difficult. Do something often enough and it becomes routine. Keep doing it and it stops being processed by the thinking bit of the brain and gets regulated to a part of the brain dedicated to dealing with routine. Your brain keeps doing it without you thinking about it. Soon, you think about your route to work as much as you do keeping your legs moving when you walk. As in, not at all. Most people call it autopilot, but there's danger there. If you have a break in your routine, your ability to remember and account for the break is only as good as your ability to stop your brain in going into routine mode. My ability to remember my phone being on the counter is only as reliable as my ability to stop my brain entering morning routine mode, which would dictate that my phone is actually in my bag. But I didn't stop my brain entering routine mode. I got in the shower as normal. Routine started. Exception, forgotten. Autopilot, engaged. My brain was back in the routine. I showered. I shaved. The radio forecast amazing weather. I gave Emily her breakfast and loaded her into the car. She was so adorable that morning. She complained about the bad sun in the morning blinding her, saying it stopped her having a little sleep on the way to the nursery. That was the routine. It didn't matter that my phone was on the counter, charging silently. My brain was in the routine, and in the routine, my phone was in my bag. This is why I forgot it. Not clumsiness. Not negligence. Nothing more than my brain entering routine mode and overriding the exception. Autopilot engaged. I left for work. It's a hot day outside already. The bad sun had been burning since before my absent phone woke me. The steering wheel was burning hot to the touch when I sat down. I think I heard Emily shift over behind my driver's seat to get outside the glare. But I got to work, submitted the report, attended the morning meeting. It's not until I took a quick coffee break and reached for my phone that the illusion shattered. I did a mental restep. I remember the dying battery. I remember putting it on the charge. And I remember leaving it there. My phone was on the counter. Autopilot disengaged. Again, therein lies the danger until you have that moment. The moment you reach for your phone and shatter the illusion, the part of the brain is still in routine mode. It has no reason to question the facts of that routine. That's why it's a routine. Attrition of repetition. It's not as anyone could say, why didn't you remember your phone? Didn't it occur to you? How could you forget? 
You must be negligent. This is to miss the point. My brain was telling me the routine was completed as normal, despite the fact that it wasn't. It wasn't that I forgot my phone. According to my brain, according to the routine, my phone was in my bag. Why would I think to question it? Why would I check? Why would I suddenly remember out of nowhere that my phone was on the counter? My brain was wired into the routine, and the routine was that my phone was in my bag. The day continued to bake. The morning haze gave way to the relentless fever heat of the afternoon. Tarmac bubbled. The direct beams of heat threatened to crack the pavement. People swapped coffees for iced smoothies. Jackets discarded, sleeves rolled up, ties loosened, brows mopped. The park slowly filled up with sunbathers and barbecues. Window frames threatened to warp. The thermometer continued to swell. Thank fuck the offices were air-conditioned. But as ever, the furnace of the day gave way to the cooler evening. Another day, another dollar. Still cursing myself for forgetting my phone, I drove home. The day's heat had baked inside of the car, releasing a horrible smell from somewhere. When I arrived at the driveway, the stones crunching comfortably under my tires, my wife greeted me at the door. Where's Emily? Fuck. As if the phone wasn't bad enough, after everything, I'd left Emily at the fucking nursery after all. I immediately sped back to the nursery, got to the door, and started practicing my excuses, wondering vainly if I could charm my way out of a late fee. I saw a piece of paper stuck to the door. Due to vandalism overnight, please use side door, today only. Overnight? What? The door was fine this morning. I froze. My knees shook. Vandals. A change in the routine. My phone was on the counter. I hadn't been here this morning. My phone was on the counter. I'd driven past because I was drinking my coffee. I'd not dropped Emily off. My phone was on the counter. She'd moved her seat. I hadn't seen her in the mirror. My phone was on the counter. She'd fallen asleep out of the bad sun. She didn't speak when I drove past her nursery. My phone was on the counter. She'd changed the routine. My phone was on the counter. She changed the routine, and I'd forgotten to drop her off. My phone was on the counter. Nine hours. That car. Baking sun. No air. No water. No power. No help. That heat. A steering wheel too hot to touch. That smell. I walked to the car door. Numb. Shock. I opened up the door. My phone was on the counter, and my daughter was dead. Autopilot disengaged. My name is Andrew Eriks. I lived once in a city called New York. My mother is Terry Eriks. She is in the phone book. If you know the city and you read this, find her. Don't show her this, but tell her I love her and that I'm trying to come home. Please. It all started when I decided around the time that I turned 25 then it was time for me to give up taking my backpack into work. It would make me look more mature, I thought, if I weren't lugging around a big book bag everywhere like a high school student. Of course, this meant that I had to give up reading in the subway in the mornings and afternoons, since I couldn't quite fit my paperbacks into my pocket. A briefcase would have been out of line since I was working in a factory, and messenger bags always seemed a little... I don't know, fruity to me, too purse-like for my liking. I had an mp3 player, which helped pass time for me for a while, but when it broke, it would shut down at the end of every song if I didn't skip to the next track manually. I gave that up too. So every morning, I'd sit in the metro for a half hour that dragged on endlessly, with nothing at all to do but watch my fellow passengers. I was a little shy, so I didn't like to be caught at all, 
so I'd superstitiously watch people. Interestingly enough, I quickly discovered that I wasn't the only person in the world who was uncomfortable in public. People covered up in various ways, but I learned to see through them. I divided them up into categories in my head. There were the fidgeters who couldn't get comfortable, constantly moving their hands, shifting their weight, moving their legs closer to the bench, and then further. They were the most notable nervous types. After them were the fake sleepers, who take a seat and practically close their eyes in the same second. Most of them were really sleeping, though. The real sleepers shifted more, came awake suddenly at stops or after loud noises. The fakes just zoned from the second that they sat down until the moment that the train pulled into their stop. Then there were the MP3 player addicts, the occasional laptop people, the people who traveled in groups and talked too loudly. The cell phone junkies were either very popular or just completely unable to shut up for more than two minutes at a time. Just as people watching was threatening to get unbearably boring, I found my first incongruity. A middle-aged looking man, brown-haired, average size and weight, and dressed casually. Oddly enough, he seemed almost too normal. He had no remarkable features, no mannerisms, as if he were designed to fade into a crowd. It was that which led me to notice him. I was intentionally trying to see how people acted on the subway, and he didn't act at all. Didn't even react either. It was like seeing someone sitting in front of the television, watching a documentary about fish. They weren't excited, aren't engaged, but they aren't looking away either. Present, but not accounted for. He was on the subway in the afternoons. It was more than a month into the people-watching experiment before he caught my eye, because I didn't catch the same subway every day, and didn't consciously sit in the same car when I did. I saw him for the first time on uh, Monday, I believe, and a second time on the Thursday of that week. He obviously did catch the same train, and sat in the same car, in the same seat even. OCD much, I thought at the time since he'd caught my attention so much the first time. I watched him even more avidly the next. He was, frankly, downright unsettling. He didn't do anything at all. He sat there, expressionless, head straight, no matter what happened. A woman with a wailing child entered the car and sat right behind him, and still nothing. He didn't so much as turn his head or frown in annoyance, and that kid was fucking loud, too. By the time the subway reached my stop, I found myself queasy, and when I exited my car, my hands were shaking like I was having a nicotine fit. Something about the man was... wrong. He was, I thought, some kind of freak. A sociopath, maybe? One of those quiet guys who, it turns out, has a dozen women's heads in its freezer. The first victim is mother. I found myself intentionally dawdling after work in the afternoons stopping to browse in kiosks in the mall near the subway even when I didn't intend on buying anything. For a couple weeks, I avoided catching the subway, and when I found myself at the stop when it was pulling in, I made sure to choose a train car as far from the one I had seen him in as possible. Then one morning, I saw another person who set off the same warning bells in my head. A woman, just as out of place of the hustle and commotion around her, the moment I recognized her, I realized later, was when my obsession began. My people watching, which had begun as a bit of a hobby to stave off boredom, became something of a religion to me. I couldn't enter a subway or ride a bus without finding myself examining everyone, filling out a mental checklist in my head. Plain clothes or solid colors, no brands, check. No expressions, no casual glances out the windows or towards other passengers. Check, 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 check. We've got another. I started calling them the strangers. I didn't see them every day, even after I started taking the metro more than I needed to. Even when I found myself riding buses out of my way in the evenings. But they were there, often enough. Seeing one would set my teeth on edge making my palms sweat and my throat feel dry. If you've ever given a speech, you might recognize the feeling. Even though they didn't pay me the slightest bit of attention, I felt like I was on display for them. 
I could see them plain as day. How could they miss me? They didn't, though. Not the way that I could tell. And when, eventually, my curiosity overpowered my fear, I decided to follow one. I chose the one that I'd found first. The man in the afternoon subway who always kept the same seat. I got on and took a seat behind me. We rode to the end of the line, and he rose and walked out before I did. Keeping distance between us, I tailed him, but he didn't go far. He took a seat on a nearby bench, as expressionless as always, and I turned a corner and waited, trying to look nonchalant. After a few minutes, the next metro arrived, and I watched him enter it and saw him take the same seat. I couldn't find the nerve to follow him again. But he hadn't gone anywhere. He just rode the metro to the end of the line, and then what? Rode it back? What possible reason would he, would anyone, have for that? It nagged at me, long after I'd rode a later train back home and tried to get some rest. I couldn't leave it alone, not until I could make some sense of it. I found myself more than confused. I was downright angry now. Why was this uncanny bastard, this almost inhuman person, riding subway trains back and forth going nowhere? The mind, I once read, recoils from certain things because the very sight of them is an affront. Spiders set it off in a lot of people, particularly great big ones. They just look wrong to us, alien. This was the effect that the strangers were beginning to have on me. They offended my senses. I found him again the next day, and again the day after that. Every day for at least a week, the two of us made our silent trips together, though only I knew it. By the end of the week, I was following him for hours, until the last train that stopped at near my apartment block that night. We rode from one end of the city to the other, then back again. I wasn't people watching any longer. I was person watching. Stranger watching. I didn't have eyes for anyone else, though peripherally I noticed more than a few confused glances my way. Other than that, we two might have been the only two people on the planet for all I cared. I lost my job the next week. My manager was kind and timid but firm. I wasn't concentrating, I had no focus, wasn't being anywhere near productive. It was actually quite a speech, I think, but I could barely hear any of it. All I could think about was my new work, my vigil. What would that man, no, that thing, on the subway get up to when I wasn't there to keep an eye on him? I left work for the last time at noon that day. Normally I'd have started tailing my subject at 5.30 but I was sure that he'd be waiting for me. I wish, now, that I'd paid more attention to that day. Was it sunny? It was summer, after all. I could have walked around downtown, maybe checked out a few pretty girls. Could have had a nice cappuccino and a smoke at an outdoor cafe and then gone home. But my growing obsession burst out of my head and found a new job in taking to reading on trains and buses again. Instead, I waited. More than one train goes up and down the lines, so I sat in the station for at least an hour until I saw him through the window. I walked into the subway car and noticed that for the first time my skin wasn't clammy and my hands weren't shaking. My heart wasn't pounding so hard. I sat, for the first time, right across from him, directly in his line of sight, watching for a change in his face. Would he recognize me? If he did, I saw no sign of it, and I was looking hard. We must have made quite a pair, sitting across from one another that afternoon, staring at and into one another. It was hard to not let the building rage in me contort my face, but with effort I was able to keep as still and expressionless as him. Inside, I was practically screaming at him. React to me, you fucking asshole. See me, damn it. I know you for what you are. I didn't, though. And my silent demands weren't answered. Not the first trip around, or the second, or the third, or the tenth. 
we rode far into the night together, and at each terminus we got out together and waited. I sat right beside him on the bench, watching him from the corner of my eye and still got nothing from him. But two could play at that game as well as one. Finally, we made our last trip together. I had him and knew it. Last trip of the night before the train stopped running. I'd always let him get away from me at that point, because at the end of the line is a long way from home, and the buses stopped running at the same time as the subways. But this time, I'd follow him, and finally see what he was when the train stopped running. I'd get some answers. Maybe. The subway rolled on, and the anticipation grew in me. The car emptied out around us slowly until it was just the two silent watchers below the city. I fought to keep a manic grin at bay, and the subway train slowed to a crawl and then stopped. The end of the line. The stranger didn't move. Still didn't react at all. The car stood still and doors open. I could dimly hear the last few stragglers making their way out of the station somewhere behind us. Footsteps echoing in the silence. Nothing. The speaker system dinged to let anyone half asleep know that we'd reached the terminus. Still nothing. And finally, I could hear footsteps again. A conductor or something popped his head into each car to make sure it was empty before taking the train wherever the hell it was going for the night. I didn't take my eyes from my silent query. I managed to see the conductor from the corner of my eye when he finally reached our car. He looked in, his eyes roaming over us, and a puzzled look came over his face. He blinked a few times and paused. I waited for him to speak and the moment stretched out, but then, with a slight shake of his head, he left us. There was a car ahead of ours and I heard him stop to check that too, and then a few minutes later, the train started up again. We rode for a time and then looped around and the subway was parked. I could see into the windows of trains on either side of us, and through the opposing windows into even more. And that's when he smiled at me. It was just a small curl of the lip that would have gone unnoticed if I hadn't spent the last several hours studying his face. So, he said in a rough baritone, here we are. I tried to respond, but couldn't right away. My throat had clamped shut, and terror filled me. It felt like the whole underground cavern we were in had just collapsed onto me. I coughed and stammered and finally managed, with a raspy voice, to ask the question that had kept me up at night, drove me halfway to madness, and led me to this place in this moment. What are you? He ignored me. He stood and the train doors opened. Then shockingly, he turned his face to me. Coming. He didn't wait for an answer, but walked out onto the platform. I scrambled to follow. Come on, damn it! I shouted. Talk to me! Who are you? What? Why do you ride the metro all fucking day? He didn't look back or slow his step. I couldn't see his face, but it's safe to guess that he didn't react at all no more than he had done to anything else. I stalked after him, still shouting for a time, but eventually gave up. Five words was all I was going to get out of him, I guessed. We walked along the platform until we came to a junction and then turned. Now we were perpendicular to the trains around us. The path ahead was lit from above, but I couldn't really see where it ended. The trains on either side of us went on forever as far as I could tell. Far too many trains to service one city, I realized. It wouldn't have mattered by then, I figured, but I probably should have paid more attention to that at the time. Not sure how long we walked. I had a watch on, but it broke. I took out my cell phone at one point, but got no reception down there, and all it would show me was no signal. A stranger would stop every now and then and look at a subway car for a minute or two, but then pass on. It took me a while to figure out why, but eventually I saw that they weren't at all the same. Long lines of them would be similar, and then we'd come to a different model. 
and be a little larger or smaller or have a slightly different shape. The cockpits, or whatever you call the front part where their conductor sits, were superficially different as well. I didn't and don't know what exactly he was looking for, but eventually he must have found it, because we turned around again, and the subway doors opened when my impromptu guide stopped in front of them. We entered and took our seats. Are you willing to speak to me now? I asked him. No answer. I sighed in frustration and seriously weighed the pros and cons of punching him right in the face for a time, when suddenly, the lights in the car came on and I heard the engine start up. What the fuck? He gave me a look that was almost sad. You're not going to be able to go back. What are you talking about? Go back where? Nothing again. This stonewalling asshole. The train lurched forward into motion, pushing off into the opposite direction that we'd come in from. I think. The endless parade of them had thrown off my sense of direction. It rolled for a few minutes and then began to slow as we approached the stop. His vacant gaze grew sharper and for the first time I got the sense that he was actually staring at me rather than just looking in the direction I happened to be in. Be still and be silent. Don't catch their attention. The train stopped and the doors opened, and they began to flood in. I don't know what I noticed first. The weird clothes, the two long arms with hands that almost brushed the floor, the jet black eyes and angular faces, or the blue-gray hue of their skin. My eyes took on all of those stimuli, but for a long second my brain refused to process it, and when it finally did... I was barely able to bite down on the shriek that I tried to tear up its way from my throat. I thought my heart was going to explode. Hell, I thought I was going to explode. I was like a strumming guitar string. Everything in me lurched and throbbed. My psych grew dizzy, which I was thankful for, and I vomited. My mouth was clenched shut and I forced myself to swallow it, barely managing to do so. My instincts were screaming his words at me. Be still. Be silent. Don't catch their attention. That day was a blur. We rode the subway car up and down the line, still and expressionless for hours. For days, perhaps. Seems much longer than the line I knew. The line that I'd followed the stranger along. The hideous thing around us seemed to pay no undue attention, though we must have stood out fiercely. I was so petrified with fear that when we finally returned to the endless cavern of trains, alone, I burst out into tears. I collapsed to the floor and just sobbed for a long time. The stranger watched impassively. When I gained control of myself, I croaked at him, imploring, Take me home! I croaked out, Please! I can't, he told me. Don't know which of these trays would lead you back, if any of them do. He stood and walked out onto the platform, and I rose wearily and followed him. He spun around sharply. I think you've followed me enough. The rage I'd felt for him before, and the panic I'd temporarily buried, rose up in me. What? I screamed, rushing forward. I grabbed him by the shoulders and, with a burst of insane strength I didn't even know that was within me, slammed him up against the side of the metro car. You fucking son of a bitch! What the fuck did you do to me? I slammed him again and again. Take me back! He bore it all passively and soon the flare of anger in me gutted out, leaving me hollow. Please! I begged. Please take me home. That's not how it works. He said, If we stay together, it's more likely that we'll be noticed. Go your own way. Be still and be subtle. And they'll think that you're one of theirs. How could you do this to me? Why? He gave me another sad look. I had to. You will too. You get stuck. Sometimes.
He brushed my hands off his shoulders and turned to walk away. I fell to my knees, suddenly out of strength, and watched him leave. At the junction, he turned back to face me. I'm sorry. And then he was gone. I stayed there, on the cold tiles, for a long time. I curled up into a ball and wept for a while. After there weren't any tears left in me, I even managed to get some sleep. When I woke, the subway train I'd come into was gone, off carrying more blue-gray abominations to wherever blue-gray abominations go. I couldn't handle going back there anyways. I tried to find my way back to where I started, to find a subway that I recognized, but, but I wasn't even sure which direction I should have been going in anymore. I walked for an hour, and then another, and finally I found one that might have looked familiar, or I was desperate enough to imagine that it did. When I stepped up to the door, it opened for me and I took a seat. It started up, and in spite of being a lifelong agonist, I prayed my heart out. The train slowed to a stop and the doors opened, and for a second I thought that I was saved. People. Human beings. I'd be the most devout man in the world. And then I noticed the eyes. Specifically the third. Large eye in the center of their foreheads. Well, that's a fucking cruel joke, Lord. I thought. They were easier to take than the last, though. And I was thankful for that. The third eye blinked independently of the other two, though. And it was nauseating. And when one of them smiled, or laughed... Or spoke with another. I couldn't help but notice that their teeth were sharp and misshapen and yellow-green with filth. But if I was careful and selectively blind, I could pretend for a stretch that I was home. Until one of them entered with the sandwich in hand, then I realized with a start that I was starving and hadn't eaten or drank in what must have been days. The next terminus I came to, I decided to try to find something to eat or drink. I don't know why I waited, but it seemed important to ride to the end of the line. I got there and could barely bring myself to leave. I'd never seen the stranger leave the underground, and never seen him eat or drink either. My stomach would not take no for an answer, though. I steeled myself and tried to keep my face carefully neutral, and made my way out of the station proper, and then I got confused. I was looking for escalators or stairs or something like that, but all I saw was holes in the ground, the walls and the ceiling. Gaping, irregular-sized holes, like I was in the middle of a beehive. What was I supposed to do? Leap into one? It didn't make any sense to me, not until someone came through one. He floated up through the floor and then floated up by me. He frowned for a second, or at least I think it was probably a frown. But apparently, whatever kept them from recognizing me as an alien in the subway extended at least this far. It did not, unfortunately, allow me to levitate, which seemed to be the only way out of the subway station beehive things. Swearing, I made my way back down to the tunnel. I was angry, lost, and starving, and been abandoned to fate that, if it wasn't worse than hell, was at least twice as stupid and three times as nonsensical. I was not in the best frame of mind, which I feel excuses the mistake. Normally, I take corners with a wide berth, because everyone knows that if you just dart around a corner sharply in a public place, chances are decent that you're going to walk right into someone. As I did. I slammed into someone, a woman, and fell to the ground. Without thinking, I reacted like any New Yorker would. Badly. Jesus, fuck. You stupid bitch. Watch where you're going. I realized my mistake even before she did. Her eyes grew quizzical and confused, and when she really noticed me, they bulged with horror. She leapt, well, floated quickly, back from me and let out something like a scream. A little more yowly than I was used to, but I got the point. I saw alien, three-eyed hands turning towards us. I thought, suddenly, about all those sharp, filthy teeth, and just like that, I was running. The subway train wasn't there, but there was a walkway along the tunnel. For the repairmen, I assumed. That's who it was for where I was from anyways. 
I took it at full speed and just kept running until each breath felt like getting stabbed. I stopped, panting, and looked back. The tunnel had curved, but I couldn't see the light any longer. But somebody appeared to be following me. Going back through was not an option. I continued forward into the dark for a long time. Eventually, I came to a small opening in the wall and stopped there for a rest. Hunger, despair, and full-speed terrified run had all left me absolutely drained. I probably would have wept again, which seemed to be all I was capable of lately. But it just seemed like too much work. And I sat against the wall, legs splayed out, and I imagined I was beating the bastard stranger to death with a hammer. It was a relieving image. A rat was shuffling around nearby in the dark. Every so often, I would kick out a foot to scare it away. But after a time, I didn't even bother with that. Rabies, or any other disease it might be carrying, would be a blessing compared to endlessly traveling through the subways of strange worlds, lost and destitute and alone. When it crept near me again, I didn't shoot off, even when it reached and pressed against my leg. I couldn't bring myself to care. Not until a train passed by and the lights of its cars lit up in the culvert I was in, and the thing I had thought was a rat. It was rat-like, yes, but not as much as it was spider-like. If someone had bred the two of them together, the resulting abomination might have been almost as horrible as the thing nuzzling my leg. I shrieked, flung myself up from the floor, and booted it like a soccer player would, right into the opposite wall. Its back made a sickening crunch, and I watched it twitched out its last before the final car passed and the darkness returned. And in the darkness, a terrible thought came to me. I wondered if it was edible. I didn't want to, and I just gagged just imagining it. But I was hungry, and there was no guarantee that I'd be able to find food in this place or ever again. Rat Spider was my only option. I held off as long as I could, but in the end, survival trumped squeamishness. I had my lighter, but nothing to light on fire. I picked meat off of its carcass and cooked it a little by holding it over the flame, but it didn't help much. Nothing could have. Its meat was foul. More foul than anything you can imagine. I've been that desperate for food since, and eaten many other questionable things. Nothing has ever been as bad as the rat spider was. In retrospect, that is when I became a stranger. Before, I had struggled to reach that expressionless state the other had maintained. What I'd taken for calm was numbness. A sharp rock thrown in a river will, over time, have its edges rounded off by the water beating over it. And what I'd gone through had done the same. Tearing up and eating a monster in the dark. Below an alien world, the last of my edges smoothed. By the time I left the darkness and came back into the tunnel, I was as expressionless and as empty as the one who had led me here had ever been. That was not the worst of it, though. The worst came later, the first time that I got stuck. A stranger had mentioned it, but in the state that I'd been in, I'd hardly noticed. One night, at the end of the line, I was asked to leave the train. The world was one of the closer to normal ones. The people were almost human, as I recognized it. They were orange, sure, and hunchbacked, but other than that, they were practically normal. After the last world, where the people had been hideously overweight, six-breasted hermaphrodites with no noses, the orange guys were pretty much beautiful to me. I thought, at first, that the conductor was talking to someone else, but I was the only one in the car. And moreover, I'd understood him. The oranges certainly hadn't been speaking English all day, but nonetheless, I could understand what he was saying. When I stood, I began to realize why. I couldn't stand up straight. I was hunchbacked, and I saw in my reflection against the window as I exited. Orange. I pieced together the rest from there. Stuck meant that I was trapped in this world for some reason, and stuck like them as well, which would be handy if I wanted to take the opportunity to leave the subway station, which is possible most times, but requires a lot of care and is quite overwhelming. 
Alien worlds are a little revolting, I've found. You try to compare them to your own, but the differences are so vast that it just makes you sick. I left that subway, anyways, because it was clear I wasn't returning to the central hub, what I'd taken to calling the infinite line of subway trains that night. More than another night, I soon found out. Whatever had let me go unnoticed wasn't working any longer. I considered briefly staying, but this place wasn't home. It could never be. Even if they looked like me, their culture was bound to be different. That was a lesson that I'd learned before. Even worlds where the people are absolutely indistinguishable from me and are fraught with danger. I was once in a world where the people looked just like me. Well, actually they looked Brazilian, but that was more than close enough. And I learned the hard way that the gesture that means hello meant something gravely insulting. Insulting enough that I'd been beaten half to death while a crowd looked on with approval. Besides, even if that place had a culture I could fake, I didn't want to stay. I wanted one of two things. To find my way home, or to find the stranger who'd set me on this path and beat the shit out of him. Nothing else would do. So I wanted to move on. If I could do to some poor sucker what had been done to me. Could I really force someone else to wander the eternal underground like me? It turned out. I didn't have to. After a few months, one of them did notice me, yes. And began to follow me for weeks. I very carefully made it seem like I hadn't seen him, just like the stranger had. But I was torn between the desire to warn him away and the desire to bring him to the end of the line so I could leave this dismal world already. The last night... He followed me to the end of the line, just as I had once done. He hadn't managed to work up the nerve to sit right across from me, though. And as soon as the train stopped at the terminus, he rushed off. I waited, hoping the conductor would see me and I could continue on, but to no avail. I left the car and the metro rushed off without me, and I cursed inside. As I walked around the corner towards the ticket booths, the young man who had been following me attacked. He had a wicked, curved knife and should have caught me by surprise. But I'd been traveling through hostile alien worlds for several years. My reflexes were sharp. We struggled viciously, but I managed to wrench the knife away from him. I don't know how it got in his neck. I don't think I wanted to kill him. I hadn't even been that angry remembering my own building rage from so long ago. Afterwards, as he lay there and bled out, I got pissed. I kicked him repeatedly and shouted, You dick! You were supposed to follow me! I fled the scene of the crime, but not for long. I was there bright and early the next day to catch the first subway of the morning. And that night, when I rode off to the end of the line, I was invisible to the conductor again. I guess you can either kill them or bring them with you if you want to return to the central hub. I was invisible again, but I was also orange and hunchback still. I stayed that way until the next time that I became stuck. The next time I killed. That one went much faster. I didn't wait for her to follow me. Once I was recognized as a stranger, I recognized her as the next one and made my choice. I won't bring anyone else into this. It makes me wonder, though, about the stranger who inducted me. I wonder what he originally looked like, and whether he knew he could have killed me. I wondered, too, about the others I saw back home, and the rare few I came across since I left. Do they kill them, or take them? And whichever one they choose, do they consider it a mercy? I can't bring myself to talk to them to ask. We're damned either way, and the damned should suffer in solitude. I've killed 15 of them now, and I've gotten very good at it. But I've made a decision. I'm done killing. Innocence, at least. Before I return to the central hub, I filled the backpack with as much paper as I could cram into it, and I wrote the story, over and over again, to be left in as many subway trains as I can. A couple thousand messages in a bottle cast into a sea of steel rails. This is a request, and a warning. My requests from earlier 
was that you find my mother, tell her a lie. It's a white lie, don't worry. Tell my mother that I love her, and that I'm trying to come home. It may give her some hope, or a small measure of peace. I wish it were true, too. But here's the thing. I've been thinking of myself as like Odysseus, lost in a drift, looking to return to familiar shores. But I am not lost at sea. I am not lost in endless tunnels, the labyrinth. The difference is important, because the labyrinths are designed and built. Somebody or something made this impossible place, and they must be held accountable for what they have done to me. And they cast me as Theseus, not Odysseus. But I won't play the part any longer, either. The strange rules of this place have turned me from the human I began as into something else, then something else again. They have made me a monster. So I will be the Minotaur in this labyrinth. And if I can, I will tear it down around me and destroy those who have built it. My warning is that you should be very wary in public places of silent, expressionless men and women. Keep your distance. They may kill you or they may do worse. If you see them, run far and fast. And even more importantly, I warn you, I beg you, don't ride the train to the end of the line. <laughs>